Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Amelia, for that welcome. I feel welcome. It's good to be here. Um, Good to be in God's house together with his people, praising God. Amen. Alrighty. Hey, um, just a warm welcome to um, you all. If, If this is the first time you come to church and you're kind of like, I'm not used to being at church, what, what we're going to do now is focus our attention on God's Word, the Bible, and uh, for the next half hour or so. But um, uh, I just bring a, a greeting too from the orchard and the elders back there. And uh, I, I get the privilege of uh, serving in a ministry called Living Stones, which Summit is part of. It's a network of churches around the country. And um, so I get to orbit with different church leaders and hopefully uh, bring some um, linking arms so that churches helping each other. And our main goal is for raising the standard of leadership, but um, it's a real privilege for me to serve in that capacity. So, um, good to be here this morning. As we come to God's Word, why don't we uh, pray together? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are just so grateful to be here this morning, uh, to sing your praises, to hear from your Word, and to remember the centrality of Christ's death and resurrection. And to be able to approach your throne together in prayer this morning. To be able to encourage one another uh, to love and good deeds. And we want to thank you for this opportunity because it refreshes us and it encourages us and it points us away from ourselves and onto you. We need that. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help every one of us as we strive to live before you in a way that honours you and reflects you to all those around us. Help us, we pray, because we're a broken and fragile people. Our emotions are up and down. We struggle at times, but you never do. You're consistent, you're faithful, you're reliable, you're steadfast, and you're sure. You are holy and just and righteous, and wise. So this morning, as the scriptures are opened, we do ask that you might help us to bring our hearts, and our thoughts, and our minds into line with what it is that you have said. Help us to allow your word to sink into our soul, and maybe do some surgery if that's needed, so that we would think the way you would have us think. So that we would respond to life the way you would have us respond. Because your word is rooted in our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its trustworthiness, for its relevance. We thank you that it still communicates truth today. Father, to be honest, we're all struggling with different issues. So we pray that you might bring comfort where that's needed, that you might bring conviction and challenge where that is needed, that you might bring some clarity where that is needed. We pray that you would do a spirit work among us in a significant way. So we want to commend ourselves to you and ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by introducing you to a friend of mine. His name's Cruz. I had the privilege of being uh, uh, in the police sometime, and this is a police dog. 
Now, Cruz on the outside might seem like he's got it all together. Cruz is a mean, lean fighting machine. He can jump six-foot fences like they were never there. He can take down big, growing men with their muscly biceps and rip them apart, even when they need some stitches afterwards. He can find a child hidden in a, in a, in a bush that's gone for a walk. He's amazing, all right? But there's something you don't realise about Cruz that you can't see from the outside. You see, Cruz has this um, disorder called um, separation anxiety. All right? He does. And the, the reason he has that is because at six weeks old, he was taken off his, his mum, his um, adult dog, at six weeks. Now, that, you should never do that with a pup. You should always wait till eight weeks. Anyway, he was taken off at six weeks, and he has this separation anxiety. And Cruz is only ever any good as long as he is next to his master. So Cruz and I could work as a phenomenal team. But on his own, he was useless. To the extent, let me tell you, funny story. One day, I'm up at Mount Ruapayu. We're doing some training for avalanche searching. We tie our dogs to the snowmobiles, and we're venturing up the top at the summit, at the, at the crater lake. And one of my mates says to me, Igor, look down there. Here comes your dog. He had separation anxiety to the point that he chewed through his lead uh, until it broke, and he tracked me all the way up to the top, and I could see him going from footstep to footstep to footstep until he sat at my feet with his ears back like, I know I'm a naughty boy, but I just need to be with you, Dad. He had separation anxiety. Now, that's a funny story, but statistics tell us that one in four Kiwis struggle at some point in their life with anxiety, with some sort of anxiety disorder or a phobia or panic attacks. One in four people will deal with that at some point. We have this mental monster crawling around in our head, and for some people it's immobilizing us. It's horrible. Now, while that might be extreme... The, the reality is that all of us worry about something to some degree. We worry about all sorts of stuff, don't we? We worry about what other people will think of us when they see us. We worry if we actually look good enough. We worry about how people perceive us if we say the right thing. We worry, Callahan, how people are going to respond when we share Jesus with them. I'm praying for boldness for you, brother. Um, we worry, don't we? Um, we worry about our family. I've got young adult kids in my home. I'm wor worried often, and I know I shouldn't. I, it concerns me, some of the decisions they make, right? I worry about my older parents, who, who it takes courage to grow old. So we, there's lots that we have to worry about. In fact, if you, you think of the issue, and somebody will be worrying about it, because it's significant. Personally, for me, I've, I've journeyed with people as a, as a policeman and then as a financial planner, which is interesting. If you've got a lot of money, that doesn't mean you've got nothing to worry about. I learned that. People can be very anxious, even though financially they're okay. Um, then as a pastor for five years, and more recently in the Bay of Plenty with the Rural Support Trust, I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, 2017, Edgecombe was flooded. Um, and that uh, spread, to, that flooding affected the whole farming community. And I led a team of about eight people to provide pastoral care in the rural community. And so I've come face to face with people that really struggle with anxiety. During that time, 
um, I was hit with it myself. I couldn't sleep. I, for four days, I went without sleeping at all. And that is not good for the human body. And so I need to get some help. So the reality is, it affects all of us to some extent. Now, what worry does is it drains you. It, it robs you of joy. It, we have the pain of the past, and then we have the hurts of the present, and then we have the uncertainty of the future to deal with. It robs you of, of the ability to function uh, normally. But let me just give you a definition of anxiety. Um, this comes from Minneth Meyer the, in, the, in the Bible Dictionary um, Encyclopedia. Anxiety, here's what anxiety is. It's an emotion that a person experiences in the face of perceived threat or anger characterized by an unpleasant anticipation of misfortune or doom. Okay. Notice perceived. In many cases, the threat is actually not real, but it's imaginary. And we live a whole lot of our life here in the top four inches, don't we? Um, but anxiety is distress about future uncertainties. It's characterized by mental agitation and uneasiness, but it primarily has to do with what may happen in the future, whether that's close by or a long way off, whether that's real or whether that's imagined. Now, anxiety really has, has three elements to it. We're going to come to God's word shortly, but I just want to set the scene so you know what we're talking about. Insecurity, helplessness, and isolation. Insecurity in that, ah, something bad's going to happen. Helplessness, nothing I can do about it. And isolation, there's no one to help me. Now, done some research about anxiety. The average person's anxiety is focused on about 40% on things that will never happen. All right? 30% on things about the past that we can't change. 12% about criticism by others, mostly untrue. 10% about our health, which gets worse when you stress about it. And 8% about real problems that we will definitely face in the future. Only 8%. So... Friends, anxiety is a whole lot of baggage that robs us of emotional and physical energy. But there's good news. And the good news is that God can help us to manage anxiety. All right. You want to know how we do that? No. no oh, one, two, three. Oh, okay. Here we go. That's good. All right. Let me just start by just making helping you to understand there is a difference between concern and worry. Two different things. Worry is when there's something, a person or an idea or an event, that's in, that you cannot, sorry, that controls you. All right? Worry controls you. Concern is different. So concern is where there's something that's negative in nature that you need to address at some point. Yeah, I know I need to deal with that. I'll get to that. I'm in church right now, or maybe this afternoon I'll think about that. But right now, I'm going to do this. 
When you control when you deal with it, well, that's a concern. But when that thing elevates to the point that it controls you, that's where we're talking about worry or anxiety. So anxiety says whether you're going to sleep or not. Anxiety controls you and tells you whether you need to pop some pills or not. Anxiety says whether you're going to cry or not. All right? So it controls you. It, it immobilizes you. So do you see the difference? We're all, we can be concerned about stuff. There's plenty of areas in the Bible where, where we see people concerned. The Apostle Paul was concerned for the churches. But when that thing that you're concerned about raises up to the point that it controls you and dictates you, that's when it's anxiety or worry. Okay. Now, if you turn with, you, with me to Philippians chapter 4, because... Um, We're going to be in Philippians 4 this morning. Uh, and, you know, when you think about when the Bible was, was written, it was at quite a different time, wasn't it? They didn't have a bunch of things that we enjoy now. They didn't have any social welfare. They didn't have um, the retirement pension. Um, penicillin had not been invented yet. Quite different. But in the midst of... Uh, those times, Jesus, in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, says, do not worry. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Philippians 4, and he says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Which means, the thing that you are worried about, don't do that. Don't allow that concern to become anxiety for you. Worry about nothing. If the thing that you're allowing to become worry for you is out of order. And you're out of order for letting it get to that point as a believer. So when, when you or I allow something that concerns us to grow to become to the point of worry, we have actually rebelled against what God wants for you. And, you know, Jesus came and he said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Well, that ain't it. I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be anxious. And, you know, the book of Philippians is, um, is actually a book all about joy. Uh, joy is repeated a number of times. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I will remain with you for your progress and your joy. Make my joy complete. Um, now, the interesting context, though, where is Paul when he's writing this? Anybody know? He's in jail. Hang on, hang on a minute. How do, he's, how do you tell people to keep their joy when you're actually locked up in chains? He's not on the beach somewhere, friends. He's not... He's not um, you know, sunning it up at 35 degrees somewhere on a lovely uh, coastal island that we'd all love to go to sometime, going, hey, this is great. No, he's locked up in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. His circumstances are not good. His circumstances are not in his favour. But he writes to the church at Philippi, and he writes for our benefit, keep your joy. Keep your joy. So how do we keep our joy despite our circumstances? 
Well, joy from God's point of view is not tied to our circumstances. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, godly happiness is different to worldly happiness. Godly happiness, the word joy, is a celebration term. Joy. Now, notice joy is in the word rejoicing. Re-joy-sing. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Worldly happiness, on the other hand, depends on what happens. If things are good that happen, you're up. And if bad things are happening, you're down. So that's kind of this roller coaster thing going on. But that's not what we're talking about here. Let me illustrate this way. We've we got three kids. When Jacob was uh, just two, he got really, really sick. And uh, I had to take him to the emergency clinic in the evening. So I'm carrying him in to the doctors, and, and I check him in at the, at the counter, and we have to sit in the waiting room. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of other people that are really sick. This is this, this, you just about wonder whether you're going to get worse sitting there. You know what I'm talking about? There's runny noses and coughing. and uh. Anyway, so I'm in this, all this sickness surrounding me. But in the middle of this sickness, there is this little playground that they've designed so that kids in the waiting room can have some joy. So in the midst of this sickness... In the middle of the sick environment was a playground. That was quite clever, I thought. In the inside of this location of this sickness was a playground. How do you build a playground in the middle of your circumstance? Can anyone use a playground today? Hey? Well, how about I help you to, and we unpack this morning, how to build a playground in the middle of your circumstances. All right. The way that you get joy, despite your circumstances, is actually in the verse. Rejoice in the Lord. Says it again. Rejoice. Not rejoice in your circumstances, but rejoice in a person. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is celebrating God. So that's the first thing we're going to do. We go to the next one. Celebrate God. If you want a playground in your heart, regardless of the sickness in your life, we need to make a decision to praise God in the middle of the problem. Now, that's pretty tricky, isn't it? How on earth do you do that? How do you praise God in the middle of your problem? There's lots written in the Bible about um, grumbling and complaining. But that doesn't actually help. Because your problem is already a problem. It doesn't need you to focus more on the problem. Paul says here, don't ignore the problem. He's open with his problem. I'm in jail. I've got a problem. Not on the beach. But he's praising God in the midst of of his problem. You can read more about that in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas were in jail praising God in this, this dark time. Don't ignore it. In, um, in the Old Testament, 
there's a, there's a little prophet, sorry, there's a prophet who's written a little book, not a little prophet, um, by the name of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, every way you want to write it. And there's two and a half chapters on how bad things are. Um, and he ends with this verse. But I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. So he's just said things are really bad, but not the end of it. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He says, I don't understand the situation. I don't understand how bad it is, why it's so bad. I don't understand why God's letting it go on. I don't understand why God's letting it go on so long. But in the midst of this, I'm choosing to, I'm deciding to rejoice in God, in the God of my salvation. You see, what the enemy really wants, wants you to focus on how bad it was, how bad it is now, and how bad it could be in the future, and you just focus on how bad and how bad and how bad, and it immobilizes you to live your life. That's what he wants. It gets your full attention. It gets your full attention to the point that you never get around to building a playground in the middle of your situation, a playground in your soul. See, friends, I think we want joy, but we refuse to rejoice. It actually takes conscious decision. You know what? I'm going to rejoice and thank God in the middle of this. So you get joy by rejoicing in the Lord and who God is and what he has done in other scenarios. So think back through what God's done in your life, where he's brought you from, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I was lost and now I'm found. I was an enemy of God but now I'm at peace. Let's focus on those things and be able to praise God in the midst of our difficulty. Let me illustrate this way. There's a um, a woman in labor has a dual challenge going on, right? Now, ladies, I don't pretend to know what you go through, so please just hang with me here for a little bit. But there's a conflict going on, right? On the one hand, she's in a lot of pain. This, 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 this thing hurts. That's negative in nature. But on the other hand, she's anticipating the life that is inside her that she is about to bring into this world and that she's happy about that. It's just ecstatic and he, oh, brilliant. Well, life will do that. Life will throw things at you that bring you to tears. Situations that either you've caused or other people have caused you. But God says, make a big celebration about me. And I, I don't know about you, but coming to church on Sundays, that for me is, is I have my heart recalibrated. The stuff that goes on during the week is like, and then I, I meet with people like you and we stand and we sing truths about who God is and I'm just like, aha, that's right. That's exactly what I needed. Those words that we sang is so true. Thank you. My heart's recalibrated and I can go back into the week and carry on. We need that. We need to not forget to do that. So decide to rejoice in the Lord. Um, friends, can I just say, this is not a passage to simply implement when you are about to feel anxious. This, this is the life of a believer. 
It's important that we celebrate God. This is a way of life. Next part, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Friends, he's closer than you think. If you're struggling with this anxiety thing, um, let your gentleness be evident. That is, you know, don't pour your misery out on everybody. Can I just suggest that? Um, you need to journey with people. Um, acknowledge the problem. I'm concerned about this, but don't let it own you. That's when it becomes anxiety. In the process, be gentle with others. All right, the second thing we're going to celebrate. Next thing we're going to do, we're going to pray. Now, that's not just my suggestion. Look at the text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All right, so every time you're prone to worry, ah, oh, this thing's bothering me, this thing's concerning me, now I can't sleep, I need some medication, ooh, that should be an alarm bell. This is controlling me. I need to pray. I need to pray. It's time to pray. And you know that it's time to pray because this concern that you have is taking over. It is controlling your sleep. It's controlling your mood. It's controlling your attitude. Now, prayer is, is kind of an umbrella word and has two things underneath that. Petition and thanksgiving. Petition means that we need to get specific. Not just a, a, a general prayer, but be specific. God, this thing is messing with me. These kids that I'm trying to teach in this classroom are driving me nuts. Or my husband, he just, eh, you fill in the line. Or, um, you know, be specific. God can handle that. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him. You know, look, if you read some of the Psalms, the psalmists are really honest, aren't they? Lord, why is this going on? Why are you letting it go on so long? And that, God can handle that. We, we see the evidence of that in Scripture. It's written there for us. So we don't need to just get fluffy with this and go, yeah, God, you're a good God. He is, but get specific. This is driving me nuts. I need your help. All right, but do this with thanksgiving. When you're prone to pray, worry, when you're prone to worry, pray. And while you're being specific, give thanks. Now, that's tricky, isn't it? What on earth am I going to give thanks for? You're wanting me to be thankful for this mess I'm in? You mean thank God for the shtuk I'm in right now? No, I want you to thank God that he understands and invite him into the situation. Thank God that he's dealt with your problem before with other people. Um, and a good example how we see this in the Bible is, is with Jesus. He was confronted one day with 5,000 hungry people, and all he had to deal with it was a little, a little boy's lunch. All right? And the disciples said, Ooh, problem. Send them home. And Jesus says, No, 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 no. Bring them here. Brings them here, brings them together, and what does he do? He prays. He gives thanks. He gives thanks for the two fish and the five loaves. Jesus gives thanks over not enough. Ooh. We need to give thanks for good technology. Um, 
He gives thanks over not enough. See, when you have a problem, we go to God with the problem and we give thanks in the middle of the problem. We give thanks, Lord, that you are the provider. We give you thanks, Lord, that you know how to deal with this. You know the solution, even though I don't. We give you thanks that even though I've got this problem, you're in the midst of this with me. All right? Does it make sense? Specific, give thanks. Give thanks not for the problem, but for God who you are inviting into the problem. Now, a good example uh, that we see in Scripture is the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, you know, you've got the famous kid story of Daniel in the lion's den. Well, you imagine Daniel. He's, he's, um, the, 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 his co-workers are coming against him, and they convince the king to make this edict that no one is to pray to anyone else but the king. And Daniel's like, oh, this is a dilemma. He goes back to his room, and in front of the open window, he prays to God. Now, a little side note, he didn't start praying then. He already prayed three times a day, all right? This is a way of life for Daniel, because he's connected to his Father in heaven, and he's doing life with God, all right? So we're going to just reserve prayer for when we come to church on Sunday. So Daniel's three times a day praying. He's in front of the open window, and he's praying, Lord, I've got a problem. Okay. How do you, when your co-workers are coming against you, when you're about to get fired, how do you give thanks in that situation? Well, Daniel does. Because he understood the need of the moment was to bring God into the situation with thanksgiving. You see, we want to go to God with just our complaining, don't we? With our grocery list of, ah, this is going wrong. No, 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 no. Come to him with thanksgiving. Now, here's what I love about the result that you're now going to see. What can you expect when you celebrate God and you pray specifically with thanksgiving? Well, I could suggest a bunch of things, but look, it's right here in the text. So please don't think I'm clever. Look at this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. He says, if you rejoice and if you pray, I will share with you my peace. In other words, I will bring you calm in the midst of your chaos. That's what peace is. Calm in the midst of chaos. Peace is not tied to your circumstances. He says, we're, we're going to create calm here in the midst of chaos. And when you have calm in the midst of chaos... That's how you know that God has heard your prayer. Now, not because the problem's being solved, but he gives you peace. Your problem may still not be solved, but when you feel his calm coming over you on the inside, even though you've got this problem circling you on the outside, you know your prayer has just got through. Is there? It's a, a peace that transcends or passes all understanding. It's because you don't understand why you have it. Why do I feel so peaceful when I've still got this problem going on? Why is this thing not ticking me off like it used to? Well, because God's peace has poured into your heart. He's brought that about. So, let's recap. We choose to praise God. We're rejoicing. We're celebrating God. Then you pray specifically. 
and you give thanks, then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, the word guard there is a military term. It's, I have this picture of like these angels guarding, it doesn't say angels, so please, this is maybe bad theology, but when you think of guard, it's like soldiers guarding your mind um, to protect the peace that's there. Now, how good is that? Do we want that? I think so. I need that. So I have this peace, but Paul's not finished. It's not quite cup of tea time yet, because there's some real meat in this to come. So I have this peace. How do I keep this peace and stop going back to the worry? But look in verse 8, he focuses our attention on our thought life. He says, be careful what you think about. Look at verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think about such things. The New American Standard says, dwell on those things. It means you stay there. You park there. You don't just move on from that. Think about, dwell on, continue to think about good things. So that's our, our third takeaway this morning. Think about, we go to the next one? Thank you. Think about good things. One of, the, one of the reasons we don't keep peace is we go on dwelling on the things that go against the peace that we've asked for. We dwell on the, on the lie or the, um, the bad thing and we go, oh, it's so bad. It, it's a bit like if I said to you, now don't think about elephants. Whatever you do, do not think about elephants. All right, have you got it? Don't think elephants. Think anything else but elephants. Well, you can't. You can't. You can't not think about elephants, because I've just kept telling you. In fact, if I put a sign up here, it would make it worse. But if we keep thinking about the lie or the, the bad thing, it doesn't help. We need to take our mind off and think about good things. All right? Um, Pastor Craig Grishel, he says that your life is moving forward in the direction of your strongest thought. Now think about that for a moment. What is your strongest thought that's something that's bothering you or something that you're concerned about that's whirring around in your head? Well, if you, whatever it is that you're thinking about, your life is moving in that direction. Now, we could park a whole lot of time on this whole thinking issue, right? We could spend the next hour easily on how to think well. If this is something that you would like to have more help on, can I point you to one helpful resource we go to that next slide. Sarah Field has done an incredible webinar. This webinar is an online training thing for an hour on thinking well. And she has some phenomenal tools to help us to think well. If you jump on our Livingstones website under the resources tab, you will find that webinar and you can listen to an hour of her coaching. You can rewind it and play it again, share it with friends. It's brilliant. All right? I won't do it justice, nor have I got the time. All right, livingstones.org.nz. Talk to me afterwards if you want to know more about that. Okay, now the prophet Isaiah said this. 
He's talking about God. And he said, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So God keeps all of us in peace when our mind is stayed on him because our trust is in him. Does that make sense? Because here's what happens. You have peace because of a growing awareness of God's care for you. And that awareness fosters an, in an unanxious heart. It fosters trust. See, many of us kill the peace we have because we dwell on the things that we shouldn't. We dwell on things that work against the peace. If you dwell on the lie, it'll kill the peace. All right. So let me recap. To get rid of anxiety, we start with rejoicing. Celebrate God. When it shows up, we go to God with specific prayer. And we keep the peace by thinking about things that are good. All right. Side note here, little freebie. We need to watch out for the people that we're hanging out with. Sometimes, look at verse 9. Whatever you've learnt from me, he says, put into practice. The things you've heard or seen in me, put in practice. See, a lot of us stay worried because we hang out with worrisome people. You know, you probably have some people in your life that suck the life out of you. You know, we, we need to be with people like that because they need us. But if all the people you are with suck the life out of you and they're worrisome people, this ain't going to help you. You need to find people who breathe life into you as well. So a lot of us stay worried because we're dealing with worrisome people. If you hang out with people who don't know how to praise in trouble, who don't know how to pray in trouble, who don't know how to dwell in the right place in trouble, and if they're your close buddy or your girlfriend, then you're in trouble. Don't be surprised if the anxiety gets worse and not better. You need to hang out with some people who practice this themselves. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the church. One of the purposes of the church is to connect people with other people, to connect you with spiritual people that can be a help for you. People who can walk you through stuff because they themselves have been through it. Then he closes with this phrase, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's different to what he said earlier. He said, the peace of God will be with you. When you're thinking and you're dwelling and you're hanging out with the right people who influence you, you don't just have the peace of God, you have the God of peace. In the first half, you get his peace. In the second half, you get his person. The peace of God will be with you. But if you do the second bit, the person who gave you the peace will be with you. Friends, if you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. We fight worry with faith by casting all our anxieties on him. We fight worry with faith by casting all our anxieties on him. Just as we close, you know, I heard this story years ago in the pioneer days of aviation. There was a pilot 
making a flight around the world. After he took off, he was about two hours from where he took off from, he heard the noise in the plane and he looked down and he saw this rat chewing away at one of the cables. He thought, oh, a bit concerned. Like, this could be an important cable as this rat is chewing through this. Does this mean we're going to crash land? Two hours back to where I came from, two hours to the next landing strip, uh-uh, he was getting a bit concerned, and the concern was starting to ramp up. It was controlling him, owning him, potentially getting a bit anxious. But then he remembered, a rat is a rodent. A rodent is designed to live on the earth and under the earth, but not in the great heights. Do you know what he did? He climbed the plane, 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, until he got to 10,000 feet, and he heard the gnawing stop. Because the rat was dead. Friends, about two hours later, he landed the plane safely, and he went down the back, and he found this dead rat. Worry is a rodent. It can't live in the secret place of the Most High. It can't breathe in the atmosphere made vital by praise and prayer and thinking in the right things and familiarity with the Scripture. Worry can't live there. Worry dies when we ascend to the Lord through prayer and through His Word. That's how we now worry. Don't live in isolation on your own because you won't deal with worry and anxiety that way. Shall we close in prayer? And the band's going to come up and we're going we're to sing. But I want to just pray for us all as we close. Our Father, we, we bless your name this morning. We want to pause right now and do exactly what you've taught us to do, to come to you and to praise you and to exclaim, proclaim our praises of you and who you are, you are a good father. Thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Thank you that you, O oh God, never change. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to be in right relationship with you as you sent the Lord Jesus Christ down to this earth to make that make that possible, as he died on the cross so that we don't have to take on that punishment. Thank you that all of us who've put our faith in Jesus are now at peace with you. We pray that you would enable us to see clearly all that you are and all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, many of us, many of us here are worried about something. You, you know that better than any of us. And it's crippling us on the inside. It's destroying our joy and our playground on the inside. We long for peace in our hearts. Would you help us, Lord, to bring our concerns to you so that we may experience the peace that you offer and the life that is life to the full which Jesus came to bring. We pray this in the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks,